Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Feraldi. That's Brian Stoffel. Welcome to a new series we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking stocks that we know and love, and we're going to be running them through the anti-fragile framework to find out if these businesses are fragile or anti-fragile. Brian, our first stock, definitely going to be a popular name, I'm guessing, Tesla. You have owned Tesla in the past, correct? I did. And I we can talk about it at the end, but I sold it in 2017 because I thought it was fragile. And believe it or not, even though it's been a great investment, I still think it was the right decision for me at that time. Fair enough. Tesla has grown to become one of my largest investments. So I am curious to see how it scores on the anti-fragile framework. And with that, let's, is, uh, let's, uh, let's get going. So we have a little... Uh, stop... Uh, Stop screen, share, uh, share screen. Here we go. We're going to be putting this through uh, a little uh, presentation to see if it is fra uh, fragile, uh, fragile or anti-fragile. Here is the overview of the anti-fragile framework, Brian, that you developed. We're going to be checking for eight things: the company's mission, its moat, optionality, financials, concentration, and skin in the game characteristics. So let's get going. First off, the company's mission statement. Tesla's mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. What it's do you think? Best, it's one of the best mission statements around. And I love how you pointed out in the past how when Elon Musk decided uh, to make a lot of the software open so anyone could use it and borrow it, a lot of people were like, well, that that's going to eat away at your competitive advantage. And you pointed out, hey, if I'm Elon Musk, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, if I make this open, does that help accelerate the transition to sustainable or does that decelerate? It accelerates it. Profits be damned. He did it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty questionable about Elon Musk. I, I saw him this past weekend on Saturday Night Live. Um, but that shows, I mean, he does make decisions based on this mission statement. Love yes. him or hate him. I totally agree. This is an incredibly simple mission statement. It is optionable and it is very inspirational. I think the company gets full credit uh, when it comes to mission. In fact, I think this is one of the most mission-driven companies on earth. Okay, number two, moat. All First right. off, let's take off, check off all the characteristics. Yeah, so we've network got a bunch. network effect. So let, let's explain exactly what this network effect is. The big way uh, I know, Brian, that you've talked about it is that the more people that drive and the more data the company gets about its autonomous driving, the better the autonomous driving becomes. So more and more, more and more data, better autonomous driving, bigger advantage over whoever's in second, third, and fourth place, and that becomes an advantage. So you think that might be a really big advantage because I usually think that that's a pretty big deal when AI is involved. But with this, I'm much less so. I would give them a half point for the network effect, partially because I think that this is a much tougher problem to figure out, to solve than we initially thought. And I think that Elon Musk is, you know, admitted as much recently as well. He said, we might never get there. And I've pointed out, if I know all the, the, the cars on the road are autonomous driving and they're going to stop as soon as they see a human being, which is one of the huge things they're working on, what's to stop me from walking out in the middle of the road and just stopping traffic, knowing everyone's going to stop for me, take that, multiply it times all the human beings that walk, and you've got a, a new, a different problem. So I give them a half point for that. Fair enough. I think that the network effect, to your point, is going to help them tremendously from a data perspective to get uh, to become the leader in full self-driving. But as you pointed out, that's going to be a tough, tough nut to crack. Uh, so half point. Okay. Switching costs. Do you think Tesla has switching costs? I think that they do. I give them a point for this. You know, electric vehicles have become so mainstream that one of the big things now is just the, the range anxiety, I've heard it called, where 
okay, I can get 350 to 500 miles on a charge, but what am I gonna do once I get to that point? And the fact that Tesla has all these supercharging stations spread throughout the country is actually a really big deal. It's not like I can take my Chevy Volts and go to a supercharging station and hook up. I will say that I expect that this uh, competitive advantage is going to weaken over time instead of strengthen, because I think there will be other ways of doing this. And you know, at some point, someone's gonna come up with a way to put something on top of that supercharger charger and plug it into something that's not a Tesla. But I will give them a point for that. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that their uh, their network, their global network of Tesla superchargers is a big advantage right now, but there's no doubt that that is something that all the other car companies are going to catch up to in time. All right, low cost advantage. Do you think Tesla has a moat here? Yes, this is, this is probably one of the strongest ones that there is. Um, and that's just because everything's in-house and they're making their own batteries. And th that's a huge one, right? Because this is the input that makes a Tesla a Tesla. Uh, so much so that they, they can sell their extra capacity to other car companies. So that's a big one for me. And I give them a, a point and a half for that. I, I totally agree. They have been on the forefront of building huge amounts of batteries. They recently had their battery day. I think uh, Tesla has, again, uh, it's hard to know how long of an advantage this is going to be for them, but I think they do have a low cost advantage here uh, on, on both the powertrains for electric vehicles as well as on the battery side. Only time will tell if that is a durable advantage. Uh, okay. Intangibles. Do you give them any points here for brand or patents or anything like that? For brand, I give. I only give one point maximum for intangibles and they definitely get that one point look when your ceo is hosting saturday night live like do we even need to say anything else i mean is it pronounced dogecoin or dog coin i don't sure. even know <laughs> but one man's tweets are sending a cryptocurrency to the moon and then back to earth and then you know wherever they don't have to spend a dime if they if they really didn't want to on their marketing um now obviously if something happens to musk that could be a pretty serious problem for them. But right now, I would say, I mean, I put it right up there with Apple. I know that when they, they run the numbers, they don't say so. But look, Apple spends money on advertising. Tesla doesn't. Tesla, uh, as you pointed out, Elon Musk has over 50 million Twitter followers. Literally with a tweet, uh, he can make the news. He can get Tesla uh, all over the news, whether it's for good or bad reasons. They have very low-cost marketing spend, and the brand uh, is synonymous with um, premium and luxury at this point. So I totally agree. Finally, we're going to cover one that we don't cover all that often, and that is counter-positioning. You brought this up. What do you yeah. think about Tesla there? Well, I give them the full point for it, but I'm going to kick it right back to you because this is something you kind of introduced me to. So do you want to explain the counter positioning real quick? Because I'm bought on. I believe that this is an advantage for them. This is a strategy more than it is a moat, but the idea is that you sell something, but you sell it in a differentiated way, and that differentiated way makes it hard for competitors to, to match you. In Tesla's case, I think their counter positioning is that they have avoided the dealership model altogether. You can go online right now and buy a Tesla at tesla.com. You can take a test drive on there. You can, uh, you can uh, return it uh, on there. That is a piece, that is an expense that all other automakers, legacy automakers will still have on their books, but Tesla doesn't have to do that. It's the same advantage to me that Netflix had over Blockbuster. Netflix and Blockbuster's products were interchangeable with each other. Netflix, though, chose to rent them through subscription, through the mail. Blockbuster had a physical store. I think that this is an 
underrated uh, source of potential moat. So I agree with you. I think that this is a big advantage for Tesla and it's going to be very hard for a competitor to replicate this because they have this whole other stakeholder dealers that they have to worry about. All right, let's talk about optionality next. Here's some of Tesla's current products. They're very well known. Model S, Model X, Model 3, Model Y. They have solar. They have the solar roof. They have uh, the power pack. They have mega pack. Uh, these are all of Tesla's current products. When I became a shareholder many, many years ago, the product was model, the, the Model S. This is what they have today. And here are some of the products that they've promised for uh, that we know about already. The Cybertruck, the Semi, uh, the next generation Roadster. They've hinted at a $25,000 uh, car. He's also talking about a robo-taxi network, software, uh, HVAC. This company, to me, has tremendous optionality embedded in it. But I want to know what you think. I, you know all the things. <clears throat> I don't even bother knowing all the things. There are enough things that they have come up with to further their mission. And that's the thing. All of these things tie into that mission of transitioning to sustainable energy. Um, I don't need to know them. I know that they'll come up with them. So I give them full points for this as well because they are not just a car company. When they took motors out of their name, that was a big deal because it told you that it is about so much more than just cars. So I give them the full three points for this. Great. All right, moving on to financial fortitude. These are the most recent numbers from Tesla, and I'm sure there's gonna be some controversy whenever you're talking about financials and Tesla, but hey, this is what we have. So Tesla's cash balance at the end of the last quarter was $17 billion. That does not include the billion dollars in cryptocurrencies that it also has on its books. Their debt balance was somewhere around $12 billion, and this really depends on how you calculated it. I did it by including everything I could think of. So that includes $1.8 billion in uh, current debt financing and financial oblig uh, financing obligations, includes about $9 billion in long-term debt and financing obligations, and then I rounded up a little bit. If you look at recourse debt, that's only about $5 billion. And then finally, free cash flow. Over the last year, Tesla generated more than $4 billion in free cash flow. Brian, tell me what you think. So I think this is very strong and I just want to touch on it for one sec. And actually, Brian, this is, we can fix this for the future is that I can go all the way from minus three to one point for financial fortitude. But the reason I say that is, is because I sold Tesla back in 2017. And here's the reason why back then they had almost 6 billion more in debt than they did in cash. And they were losing $5 billion in free cash flow. And they had a bunch of debt obligations that were coming up on the horizon. And it was very touch and go as to whether or not they would reach it. That's why I sold because I took three points off because they were incredibly fragile. And now since then, we've come to find out that Musk really was worried about whether or not they'd be able to make payroll and had tried to approach Tim Cook about uh, of Apple of, of buying Tesla, of taking it over because they could no longer meet their obligations. They, they threaded the needle though. And this is an important point. Things that are fragile can become anti-fragile. Okay. You can be something that has to get through a very narrow window, but once you're through that window, you're incredibly anti-fragile. That's what Tesla did. That's just the way that reality unfolded. Yeah. I give them full credit. I think that they're in a very strong position now. 
it's no secret that years ago the company was bumped up against potential financial trouble several times in its history. Fast forward to today, the market cap is enormous. They've really bolstered their balance sheet and they're cranking out free cash flow. That's very hard to do. So great to know there. Financially, they're strong. Concentration risk. This text is really small, but this is pulled right from their 10K. Essentially, we check for, is there any customer that makes up an outsized portion of revenue? In Tesla's case, no. There's no customer that accounts for more than 10% of revenue. Let's move on to skin in the game. Glassdoor reviews. This is Elon Musk's most recent Glassdoor reviews, and it has almost uh, over 5,000 reviews, 3.8 stars out of five, an 86% approval rating, and 68% of employees recommend the company to a friend. Your interpretation. I'll be honest, that's way better than I would have thought. I mean, you and I know some people who have worked for Elon Musk in the past and, uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. So those are pretty good. Not good enough for me to give them a point. I like to see 4.0 or higher. I'll take a point away if it's below 3.6. So this lands right in the middle, just a zero. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. These are better numbers than I thought. There's no doubt in my mind that Elon is probably one of the hardest people to work for in the world. But I can also see that if you buy into the company's mission statement and you're passionate about it, you're willing to endure that because yeah. you know that you're doing something that could potentially change the world. All right. Founder, here's a controversial one. Who are the these guys? The technical founders of Tesla's are these two, uh, Martin Eberhardt and Mark Tarpening. Elon was actually one of Tesla's first uh, major investors, and there's no doubt, no doubt, Tesla would not exist today if it wasn't for Elon. And he actually became the CEO in, I think, 2008. But these guys are technically the founder. So I'm curious how you're going to score this. Uh, this is, this is, I've said many times, doing this is more important than following it to a T is in my book, Tesla is an existential, it's an extension of Elon Musk. Okay. So he views this as part of his person. So as far as I'm concerned, he's the founder. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Same with like Howard Schultz and Starbucks. He didn't yes, technically exactly. found Starbucks, but he's the founder. Ray Kroc at McDonald's. He didn't yep. found McDonald's, but he's pretty much the founder. So yeah, I agree. I would give full credit here for the founder. Finally, inside ownership. This is from the company's most recent uh, proxy statement. Elon has over 20% of shares outstanding and insiders as a group over 23%. That stake, in addition to his other stakes, make him the second richest person on the family, richest uh, person on the planet. Your thoughts on ownership? Hey, he, he has said many times that if they go bust, he goes bust as it should be. I agree with him. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things he's done that I'm not crazy about, especially when the virus hit California. I just, I, I was not a fan. But at the same time, he, he, he has got an enormous chunk of skin in the game. All right. So let's add those up, shall we? The barbell. So you get two points for mission. You get five and a half for moat. You get three points for optionality. On financial fortitude, you get one point for the financials. You get zero for concentration risk. And you can only lose points there. So you that's can only good. lose points there. So zero is great. Skin in the game. Uh, he gets a zero. He gets zero for glass door ratings. He gets a one for a founder, and you get one for inside ownership. Add that up, and you get a thirteen point five. Brian, where does that compare on your scale? If it's twelve or above, I have to ask myself why I don't own it. So Brian, you put me in a position where I've got to spend the next two weeks now thinking about why I don't own Tesla. 
I mean, truth be told, it it just vaulted to the top of the list. When I sold, I stopped paying attention to it. But I'm, I mean, I could dig into the moat and some of those points that I gave, maybe I gave more than I think it deserves. Maybe I gave less than I think it deserves. But even if I shave off a point and a half, it's still at 12. That's very high. And even though this is a, I don't even know, what is it, $500 billion company? It changes every day. Um, I mean, that's very strong. So I've got some work to do. I've got some thinking to do. Uh, well, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, I've been a shareholder of this company for going on nine years now. And like you said, it depends on the time period that you did this test on, right? If you did yeah. this a few years ago, the score would have been much worse. If you look at the company today, it looks better. You could look at this in three years and perhaps some of their moats have, have eroded. Perhaps their balance sheet has gotten worse or it could be getting better. But as of right now, I think that this score of 13.5 is really good. So I'm happy that you're going to be taking a closer look at this. Well, and I think that score reflects where it is. I mean, this is a very anti-fragile company very, right now. I mean, they are an enormous status symbol and they spend zero on marketing and they make everything in-house and other car companies are behind them in some of the key technology. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for watching. We hope you enjoyed this. If you found this to be helpful, let us know in the comment section below and subscribe to the channel if you want to see more content like this. We're also going to be continuing to take stocks that we don't know through this framework and my framework to, to show you how that we do that. But we thought it would be fun to take some well-known companies and put them through the anti-fragile framework. With that, Brian, see you in the next episode. All right.